God's Little Brown Church Sermon Series featuring Pastor Andrew Chrysler. Praise God, it's good to be here again. Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom his son. Psalm 3. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah. But thou, O Lord, art the shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Salah. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Psalm 3. I did, actually. I did it on the way up here. Yeah, no problem, no problem. I know, usually I'm up here fumbling with it, but I made sure I fumbled with it down there and then I turned it on. Psalm 3 is full of first-time things, and we're going to discuss a couple of those things as we go on. But first, I'm going to offer up a prayer to God uh, and uh, pray that He would anoint this message as my sister has already asked for, and that's awesome. Father God, I uh, pray that You would bless my words, Lord that you would replace any of my words with yours, Father God. Let these thoughts be yours. Let these uh, musings that I bring uh, to this text, Father God, be drowned out by your truth, Father. We thank you for the voice of truth, Lord God. We thank you for your enduring word. We praise you, Father God, for the power behind who you are and what you've given us and who you are inside of our lives. Father God, we pray that you would bless us as we listen to your word today, Father God. As I bring forth the word, Father, anoint the words and anoint uh, the hearts and the ears of those who hear, as well as mine. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Psalm 3 is the first psalm after the supposed introduction. I, I hold that Psalm 1 and 2 are an introduction to a whole book. Psalms weren't arranged by the people at the Council of Trent. Uh, they were prearranged. They were already a songbook uh, that was delivered through time, uh, a thousand years in the making, and uh, they were carried through time to the Council of Trent. I believe that's when things were set up and uh, all the books were canonized, that were canonized in the Scripture. And one of the things that a lot of people don't have in their Bibles are the titles. Uh, that the Psalms have. And those were actually part of the Psalm book or the Psalter that was passed through time. And unfortunately, a lot of Bibles leave these out. Actually, this Bible I have right here leaves it out. Uh, the one I'm preaching out of. The Bible I'm memorizing from does not, but a lot of the Bibles doesn't matter uh, what version it is. Some of the versions, some of the printings of the versions actually leave them out. Uh, and these headings, are, I think, are important. Now, I don't believe the headings were necessarily written by the psalmist. Uh, they may have been written by a psalmist. I, a lot of people believe that uh, one of the writers of the lesser psalms, not meaning less important, but 
uh, one of the writers who maybe only wrote one or two psalms, but who organized the psalms together, actually put the headings in the psalms. And you'll find as you go through some of the psalms, they're just short little things. A prayer of David, or a psalm of David, or, uh, you know, uh, to the chief musician, stuff like that. Mictum of David is Psalm 16. I don't know what mictum means, but it's kind of a cool word. Uh, this one says, A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. That says a lot. That kind of tells you what's going on in David's life when he wrote it. I think it's important. Now, not necessarily important in, in terms of what's in there. I think why David left out the p particular parts of his story is because he knew that they weren't important to the listeners as a whole. So when you're reading this psalm, you can if the title's in there or isn't in there, it doesn't matter. You can glean from it. David knows that he's not the only one who's going through situations like this or who has gone through situations like this. This was a pretty extreme situation. First of all, uh, this is the first time psalm is mentioned. All right, it's the first time Psalm is mentioned at all in the Word of God, except for the title of the book, uh, Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. Uh, Psalm, as I said last week, its root word uh, means praise or song, but that's what it—that's what they kind of uh, eventually came down to make it mean. The root of it actually means to prune. Or to cut off. It was a, a gardening term or a, a landscaping term. And a lot of times with poetry, we can say things with poetry that we can't necessarily say with lots and lots and lots of words. The Psalms are pruned, you know? Takes out all the gobbledygook, takes out all the extensive prayers that we have, you know, all the unnecessary parts, and it puts in the meat. All that's left in a psalm is the things we need to hear. The poetry will resonate with us because it gets right to the point. David doesn't pull punches here. He says what he means, he means what he says. Uh, no matter how debasing it is to him. Or no matter how weak it makes him look, because he knows he's weak. A true man of God knows, or woman of God, knows how weak they are. We are weak people. We know our life could end like that. There's nothing we could do about it. There's precautions we could take. But even if we take those precautions and God doesn't want us to go see tomorrow, it won't matter. We're not going to make it. That's how weak we are. Our life depends, it hangs on the mercy of God. And if it's necessary for us to keep going, God will keep us going. If it's not, God will make sure we don't. It's in His hands. And it's awesome because it kind of leaves us with less to worry about. So much less. In fact, we shouldn't have to worry about anything. We do worry. Uh, the word I couldn't think of last week. Remember, I was stumbling around trying to find out what the word was. I kept saying dirge or, you know, sad psalm. Uh, lament is what I was talking about. And Thanksgiving is coming up. If we were to weigh the laments to the praises and psalms, the laments are pretty heavy. There's a lot more lamenting in the book of Psalms than there are praises. 
but the praises are always kind of put in at the end. Most of the laments, with the exception of one or two in the book of Psalms, has an ending that is praise the Lord regardless, or just even so, I'm going to praise the Lord, or God's light shines through. This starts off as a lament, but it's considered a prayer of thanksgiving. It's considered a psalm of thanksgiving because it starts off with a harsh reality of what's facing David, but it ends with the reality of who God is and what He can do in the midst of all of that stuff. God will turn our ashes into beauty. He will turn our mourning into joy. He promises it. In the Psalms. The Psalms start off, uh, first we have the intro, uh, Psalm 1 and 2, and now we have kind of the first room or, or the first actual prayer to God from David in, in Psalm 3. And as we go through, most of the Psalms you're going to encounter are hard-pressed. They're from hearts that are grieving or hearts that are scared or from lips that are trembling and they don't know where to turn. But as we go through the last... Uh, Part of the Psalms, 46 to 50, are all praise. We go in with mourning and weeping into the book of Psalms, and at the end when we come out, we'll be praising the Lord. Psalm 150 is one of the most common psalms that we sing during, or say, or sing during Thanksgiving, and it's beautiful to see how God can turn, or how God makes us go through those storms, right? He makes us go through those hard times so that when we come out, will be blessed. I haven't even gotten to the psalm yet. <laughs> Absalom was David's son. And I don't think that Absalom started off necessarily a, a bad guy. He was a pretty good guy. He had a sister that he loved. Her name was Tamar. Now David was a father of many children, but not one wife. There were many wives. There were many mothers to these children. So not all of them uh, were close together. Not all of them lived together. Not all of them were near each other all the time. But Tamar had an admirer, one of David's other sons, named Amnon. And Amnon really liked Tamar to the point where one of his friends uh, gave him some poor counsel that he should fake being sick so that when she came in and, 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 and asked for her to come in and help him out during his sickness, and then he devised a way to get everybody outside of the room and he raped her. Much to her protestation. And after he raped her, uh, his heart started to be hateful toward her. He hated her, it says, more than he loved her in the beginning. And he kicked her out of his room. And that's the worst thing that he could have done. The rape was bad enough, but then not taking her and making her his wife was even worse. Because back in that day, especially in the royal families, if a, a girl had lost her virginity, it was over for them. They were, they were to spend the rest of their lives unmarried. Nobody would touch that person, there was kind of a, an uncleanness on them at that point. So he had made her unclean. So she goes to her brother Absalom, and she cries to him. She weeps towards him. David finds out, and David's upset, rightfully so. But David does nothing. 
He doesn't do anything about it. David is a righteous guy. Right? No doubt about it. We look back through uh, uh, how David loved God and how David cherished time with God and all these things, but he wasn't perfect. There are some things he didn't do right. He should have dealt with this situation. Tamar lived with Absalom during this time, and Absalom, I'm assuming, it doesn't stay in here, but Absalom probably started to hate his father. Maybe rightfully so. Maybe we would may do the same thing in that situation. Maybe we wouldn't. But Absalom started to hate his father, and then Absalom eventually connived and wheedled his way to get closer to David. And then he devised a scheme where he would stay at the gates of David's house, and when people came in to inquire of the king or to ask for help or to ask for you know, whatever it is, or just even to, to express their grievances, Absalom would be there. And he'd say, sorry, he's not seeing anybody today. He doesn't have anybody to listen to you. If I were king, I would hear your cause. But I'm not. So eventually, through doing this over a number of years, Absalom won over the hearts of Israel against David. And then he asked David's permission to go and to leave and to go to this fortified place. And David really didn't know what was going on at that point. But when he got there, he hatched his scheme and told one of his runners, his messengers, to go tell David that he's taken over this one area. He didn't really take it over yet. So the messenger runs out and he tells David what's going on. And David gets this news and everybody starts panicking. The whole, all of David's household, all of his, his people are there and they all start panicking and they're, what are we going to do? It's a scheme. It's smoke and mirrors, but it worked. There was fear in the camp of David. There was fear in Jerusalem. And that's when this psalm takes place. Lord, how, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. We can all relate to that. We can relate to that in this world. There's always going to be more haters than there are lovers. There's always going to be more cynicism than there are praises. There's always going to be people knocking at your door telling you what your problems are, but not offering any solutions. They're always going to be there. And that's, I think, why David didn't label this. That's why David didn't say, hey, this is about my son Absalom. I'm running from him. Uh, obviously, most people can't relate. But we can relate. Even us in, in America today, maybe not as well as maybe some other parts of the world, we don't have uh, Muslim terrorists coming in and threatening our lives if we don't adhere to Allah. We might someday, but we don't right now. Praise God for that. We live in a land of freedom for the most part, but you can tell the walls are starting to crumble in a little bit. People are starting to get more and more and more upset with Christianity. They have these inane ideas. They have rumors, right? They have these false little things that they're word games that they want to play. Oh, you referred to me as the wrong gender. Oh, you did this. And they're starting to actually get, I know in Canada, it's illegal, to refer to somebody who identifies as a woman who's actually a man to call that person he or him. It's illegal. You can get 
thrown in jail for calling a man a man in Canada right now. A man who had, a, there was a story of this man whose daughter started identifying as a man and he wouldn't call her he him. That was his baby. You're my daughter. You're always going to be my daughter. I love you. Off to jail he went. By the, the psychologist said it's an unhealthy situation. She's taken away from him. He was put in jail. He had to pay a fine or did whatever he had to do. And that's in Canada. It's not too far away, especially from here. We're pretty close. And there's other things that are happening too, and they're, they're starting to press in around the brothers and sisters, and they have a lot of little gimmicks that they use. Verse 2 says, Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. There is no help for him in God. Think about that to David. There's no help for you in God. That's what God is, that's where David has wrapped everything up in, is him. It's hard to go against that. Right now we're hearing of you know, pseudo-Christians coming out and saying things like this to other people. There's no help. God's not going to help you. God isn't going to help you. If you hear that enough times, it might get into your head. David has probably heard this over and over again. He probably does look like the bad guy because, in actuality, he has some blame in this situation, doesn't he? And as we do most of the time, if a situation is pressing against us, maybe we did do something a little bit off. Maybe we did do something a little wrong. And we can't always say we are 100% completely right because we are not 100% completely right. There is something deeply wrong with each and every one of us. Sin has separated us from God and we are bent. In here, in here, everywhere. The only thing we really got going for us is that we're here worshiping a God who is not bent, who knows how to straighten us up. And it's our job to continuously keep going to Him and asking for that strength, asking for that power, asking to be straightened out. Because we're not. So it's easy when we screw up and somebody says, oh, well, look at what you just did. You're a Christian? How could you do that? If you're a Christian, why are you acting like that? Why do you say things like that? I always say, unfortunately, I'm still human. Nothing else I can do about it. I, I don't mean to shrug it off, but I have to say that because I know that if I get wound up in what they're thinking, if I get wound up in their judgments, I may start believing it. That God doesn't really want to help me out. Because I'm bent. God loves us bent people. He really does. He wants not only to help us out, but to empower us in righteousness. He wants to straighten us out. But we have to want to be straightened out. David knew he was bent. He knew he did wrong with Absalom. He knew he treated it badly. His advisors did too. And not only did he have that sin at this time, but obviously that sin with Bathsheba wasn't a secret kept only in his, his palace. Obviously, we know about it. Thousands of years later, they had to have known about it in the courts. It wasn't, it wasn't something that was kept secret from anybody. Once somebody finds out something juicy like that, there's, you are not going to keep that a secret. You're not. We know about it. They knew about it. 
David definitely knew about it, and he knew it was wrong. And so it would be easy to succumb to these kind of references. So it's good that we have David's word here. And here's where we come to another first. Salah. What does Salah mean? It's the first Salah in the book of the Bible, or in the whole Bible. It's the first Salah in Psalms, obviously. In Psalms, I believe there's 74 Salahs. There's three in Habakkuk, and that's it. And they're all in Habakkuk 3.3, and Habakkuk 3.3 is also a psalm. It's, it's a prayer or a song to God. And they use Salah as well. So the people uh, who are smarter than I and have studied these hundreds and hundreds of years ago believe that Salah, they don't really know exactly what it means, but it was probably either stop and consider, which oftentimes they're placed in the right way for us to stop and consider what's happening, or it's a musical uh, infringement saying this, this is where the music either speeds up or slows way down because there's something here. And it's important, uh, I think it's important to keep the Salahs in. Some of you may or may not have Salahs in your Bible either. I love having the Salahs in my Bible. I do pay attention to them and they often help. If you're praying the Psalms, which is awesome to do by the way, if you're ever praying the Psalms, pay attention to the Salahs as they come up. And they only happen in the first three quarters of Psalms. There's only two after, uh, I think, 70-something, uh, 71st or 72nd Psalm and the fourth book of Psalms. There's only two Salahs in there, but there's a bunch of them. Most of them take place before that. So that's our first Salah, and that's a good time actually here to stop and pause and think about God and about what he really, you know, what these people are, are doing to David at this point and what they do to us and, and how they say to us. And also, uh, the third realm. So we got David's realm, we got our realm, how it applies to us. But we, we always have to go back to Christ. As Christians, we always have to go back to Christ. Jesus was in a similar situation. He's got the words of truth. He knows exactly what's going on. He had 12 people that he couldn't really confide in, but they were the best he had. He told, I think it was Peter, I, I you know, I... I I don't trust you. <laughs> Pretty much is what he said. I can't. I know it's in the heart of man. I can't confide myself to you guys like I can to God, obviously. None of us can. Uh, and none of us really should completely trust uh, another person. Not fully 100%. Not, not, not with our lives. Not with our, our, our souls. Uh, we should always only trust God. And I'm not saying that other people aren't trustworthy. I know you guys are probably very trustworthy. But at that point, I'm not going to let my salvation rest in who you guys are. right? I'm only going to let it reside in God because God is the only one who can bring that through. And that's an important note as well. But you, O Lord, uh, verse 3, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. That's one of those threefold uh, situation, and it's compared uh, also in verse 4, I cried to the Lord with my voice, and He heard me from His holy hill. 
The Lord is our shield. And uh, the shield that David is referring to, the wording that is used, it, it, it speaks of kind of a surrounding shield. David is being pressed on all sides. Now, he's not saying his enemies are weak, and he's not saying his enemies are stupid. In fact, they have surrounded him on all sides. He acknowledges that his enemies are worthy enemies, so to speak, for him to take on. We have to acknowledge our own weakness in the face of our troubles or God can't do anything for us. It's not that He doesn't want to, but He can't. If we feel like we could do something to you know, push them away and make things better, then He'll say, okay, give it a shot. Right? Give it a shot. See what happens. You're not going to get very far. We need to acknowledge that we're weak and... and David does an excellent job of acknowledging how weak he is and how strong the Lord is for him. You are a shield for me. You surround me. You protect me inside and out, up and down. Nothing can get to me if you're around me. You are my shield and my glory. How important is it to have God as our glory? Because if we rest on our own laurels, if we say, oh, I look really nice, you know, give it ten years. When I was 16, I was like, oh yeah, I looked in the mirror. Now I try to stay away from mirrors as much as possible. I, that's no longer my glory. I can't rest in that. My glory isn't how good I am. It's not how good I am at my job. I know at my job, I, in my, in my, I can get a little cocky because I know every single part of what I do. I'm the only one in my, in my line who knows every single thing. But there are people that come in and learn what I know in days where it took me years to learn it and it humbles me and they are faster at it and they've only been doing it maybe a couple of months and they fly through everything and I just I'm put in my place that's where I need to be right my glory doesn't rest in how good I am in my work it doesn't rest in how good I look it doesn't rest in how smart I am it doesn't even rest in who is around me who I've surrounded myself with it rests completely in God and it should that should be our glory Glory was explained to me in this way uh, by my old pastor, pastor from Hilton, that glory is using something for its intended purpose. So a table that has food on it is glorified. That's a glorified table because it's doing what it should. That floor is glorified if people are walking on it. We are glorified if we have if, if we turn to God, when we turn to God and we're being used by God and we're uh, constantly looking up to God because we were made to do that. Anybody who's not doing that, anybody who rests on their own laurels or, or tries to do things their own way or, or says, God can't help me, there is no God or whatever any of those things are, they will never be able to be glorified until they come to Christ. They can't be. No matter how beautiful their voices are. And there are so many people in the world who have beautiful voices who sing about horrible things. They sing against God. They don't sing for God. There are people who can do amazing things. Stuntmen and, and uh, actors and poets and writers and uh, knitters and, and all these people who have all these skills. If they're not doing it for God, it's not glory. 
That's something we have to keep in our minds. And the one who lifts up my head. Now, lifting up your head can mean a couple of different things in Scripture. We know with Joseph, he was in prison and there was the baker and uh, the taster. Right? And they were in prison and they were worried. They had a dream and they had these uh, extensive dreams. We won't go into them. But Joseph told them, you know, in, in three days or however long it was, your head will be lifted up and you'll be back in the king's court and he will lift your head up again. And the other, the baker, he's going to lift your head up off of you. You know, you're going to be decapitated. You're going to be hung up, uh, which isn't a good thing to be. Uh, I don't believe that's what David's speaking about here. I do believe he's talking about having your head lifted up. You know, be put back in your proper place. He's talking to King David here, but he could be talking to us as well. There are times where we've failed. There are times where we have fallen. And there's times where we have lost things and because sometimes of our own ignorance or our own problems. Our own fault. Mia culpa. Right? But also sometimes not. Sometimes we're completely innocent in these situations. We're not always to blame. Uh, sometimes we've been doing things exactly the right way and problems have come up anyway. In fact, the more you do things for God, the more the enemy is going to want to hurt you. Peter was, uh, Satan was looking for ways to sift Peter because Peter was so close. He was so close to the truth. And the closer we get, the more in tune with God we get, the more Satan and the enemies and the forces of darkness are going to hate us. The more the unbelieving world is going to be at your doorstep looking for your blood. The more we cling to God, the more we do the right thing, the more the people who do the wrong thing are going to want us. So it's not only when we do things bad, sometimes we do things exactly the right way and we still have to deal with the consequences of evil. Now, how do we do that? I cried unto the Lord. I cried to the Lord with my voice. Perfect way to come to Him. I cried to the Lord with my voice and He heard me from His holy hill. He's talking about Zion there. We know that from Psalm 2. He mentions the holy hill there. Uh, he who sits in the heavens, oh, then he shall speak to them in his wrath and vex them in his wrath and, uh, and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet have I set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Zion was where the temple was. Uh, it's another name for Jerusalem. That's where David is. That's where David had to flee from to escape Absalom and his army because his army outnumbered his handful of faithful men. By a lot. And even within that handful of faithful men, there were spies. There were people who wanted David's blood. There were people who were spying on David for Absalom. Uh, David had a couple of his own over in the other camp as well. Uh, but I think David uh, was trying his best to do what he could. But uh, he cries out to God, rightfully so. And we have another Salah. Verse 5, I lay down and slept I awoke for the Lord sustained me I deal with that all the time so it's not even phasing me I know it's probably a problem for a lot of you but I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about I lay down and slept uh, I awoke for the Lord sustained me it's interesting I've read a lot of uh, commentaries uh, recently on this particular verse, 
And it's kind of funny, some of the differing uh, ones. First of all, the one I, I think I adhere to a little more is that David is able to rest. And it's interesting, when this psalm is being written, it's not being written uh, in the palace. Right? It's not being written in easy times. It's not being written when he has a nice, comfortable bed with nice, comfortable pillows. He's probably in a cave. He's probably got a rock for his pillow. He, he's, you know, he's upset. His son is chasing. I mean, not only is he scared, but it's his son. And David's heart is such, because David, David had a heart for God. And so when you have a heart for God and when you cling so closely to God, your heart can't help, but you can't help but have a heart for others, especially those who are closest to you. And he knew Again, again, here's David's weakness. He knew how weak he was and what he did, you know, what he didn't do. Wow, how he didn't take care of the Tamar and the uh, Amnon situation and how that probably is what escalated Absalom to do what he did, even though Absalom still had a choice to make, right? It's not, Absalom wasn't a victim. Uh, Absalom, may, if everything went right, Absalom still probably would have turned out the way he did. People who are bent in that direction are generally going to go in that direction regardless. But David it still shared some of that blame. And so David uh, has all these worries facing him. And he lay down and he slept and he awoke for the Lord sustained him. That is a sign of someone who is in love with Jesus. We can go to bed. We can lay down, enjoy our sleep, wake up in the morning and get right back into the fight. It's hard. I know, and I know some people have sleepless nights, and my brothers and sisters, I know that uh, some of us have sleepless nights, and we may be doing everything possible uh, that it is clinging to God as tightly as we can. We're still too scared to sleep sometimes, or we're too worried, or our bodily aches, or whatever the situation may be. Uh, it's hard to get to sleep, but know that the allowance for it exists in Christ. That we don't have to worry. We may worry, but we don't have to. Here's David, surrounded by his enemies, able to sleep on the run, on the land, in a cave or in a forest or wherever he was. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. How amazing is it? How amazing is it when we can say that? I will not be afraid of these people. What can man do to me? That's another psalm. What can man do to me? If God is for me, who can be against me? But if God is against me, who can be for me? Right? So his enemies are facing the opposite. If God is for me, who can be against me? They're facing, if God is against me, who can be for me? I wouldn't want to be on that side of things. The majority doesn't always rule. And uh, we live in a country, right now our country is torn. And it doesn't seem like it's torn in half. It seems like there's a lot larger amount and they're gaining more and more every day. There's more people who are against the things of God, more against the goodness of God in America than there ever were before. <clears throat> but that doesn't matter. Because we have God on our side. We'll never be outnumbered. There's nothing that could ever take us down. So that's a beautiful thing. 
The other way that I've seen this taken, it was by Martin Luther's view on this. Martin Luther uh, looked at this verse and said, this can't be about David. David's not writing about himself. He's writing about the Messiah. I believe there is a lot of truth in that, but I don't believe entirely uh, there's that truth in that. I think that as Christians uh, and David himself, we can have this peace and this rest. But what Martin Luther's uh, view on it was that this only could have taken place because of the wording and all these other things. Uh, talking about Jesus' death. I laid me down and slept. I awaked for the Lord sustained me. And that can also, we can take that as well because Jesus faced uh, these horrible situations. He was, he came into Jerusalem on a donkey. Everybody's praising him. A week later, Everybody's cursing. And maybe not the same exact people, but there were enough to decide a vote. It started with words. It was words. It was words. People don't know how important it is that it was words that brought down Jesus. It was words that brought down David. Just words. We have to be guarded in how we speak. We have to be guarded in what we say and what we hear. We can't help sometimes but to hear things, but what we choose to believe and what we choose not to believe. Uh, lately, there's been a lot of scams, right? There's been a lot of people calling phones, at, you know, these numbers. And at first, uh, there were a lot of people falling for it. Not so many people now. And luckily, I've always been of the mindset to kind of wait. I, maybe it's a guy in me. My wife has been of the mindset to hurry up and get this done. Oh, I heard about this. we got to hurry up and get this. And sometimes that's good. And I think sometimes I wait too much. Uh, but sometimes that helps me out in these situations to just chill and wait and wait. We should be waiting on God, right, when we hear something, when we hear a rumor. Wait on God. Don't just act on it. Somebody calls your phone and says, all of your finances are gone. Really? I'll check into that. Thank you. <laughs> Click. But before, uh, when this was new, people were like, really? My finances are gone? And a lot of people lost a lot of things because they fell for all these scams. And there's more and more scams that aren't done. We haven't figured everything out yet. It's not just princes. Uh, the prince needs help in, in Africa anymore. It's, it's a lot of other things. that are, And they're starting to learn English a little better, so it's harder to spot some of these little scam letters that are being uh, brought in and stuff. And, but we still, uh, God will give us the guidance that we need in this world. And it's not just, a, you know, I'm going off on a tangent on those things. But it's all around us. Is our spirit resting in God? Are we, are we resting in God? Are these words going to bring us down? And so we have to be patient we have to be careful of what we choose to listen to what we choose to believe because they're just words absalom didn't have any power at all but he convinced david that he did because he had the numbers he said hey i've taken over this town and when the people saw david running more people flocked over to absalom so in a way david kind of helped spur this on even more a little bit by just kind of falling for it he could have just said hey i'm not going to listen to that we're going to stay here. I don't know if that would have worked or not. I'm just saying that uh, it was words that started it. And so we have to be careful not only of that, but what we say. James says our, our tongues are like, they're like a little fire. You can start something really big with a spark. You can start a blaze. And you can either do that for the good of the kingdom or for the bad of the kingdom. You start talking about somebody behind their back. 
or you start saying this about that or this about this or or start just spewing information that isn't necessarily true you heard it on the internet you know you you read it on facebook and so you jump to conclusions so and so is dead how many times have people posted these things on facebook all these you know this this star is dead and you what i do now i check everything now i don't believe if something like strikes me like wow really i, I look into it i make sure that uh if it's true or not before i say anything to anybody else about it but you know sometimes i've fallen for it I'm not, I'm not perfect on that myself. We have to be careful. Words are important. And that's what brought, and again, that's what brought Jesus down. It started with a word. It just started with people. It started with the Pharisees sowing discord against Jesus. It started with, uh, even Judas. You know, how did that start? How did he become, uh, what he became? It started with words. It started with ideas that weren't right. It started with false ideas and false starts and rumors. Uh, Jesus is gonna destroy the Romans. Whew. And when he didn't, well, I guess he's not the Messiah. So I woke, I lay down and slept. I awoke, I awoke for the Lord sustained me. And David rises up, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me around about a lot of people. They didn't really mean ten thousand, right? Whenever the Bible says ten thousand, uh it's a high it's just a number that means so many I can't count them. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. I love this verse. I love the image it creates. I got a. I watch Braveheart a lot. I'm sorry. I, I just. I really like this verse. And this is uh, whenever arise, O Lord, takes place quite a bit in Psalms. Psalms has arise, O Lord, or save me, O my God, often uh, in it, and it's a pre-battle. You know, David's like. Let's do this. God, I'm ready. It's not, oh, help me, Lord, you know, I'm so weak and defenseless. He's, he's gummed up now in the Lord. He is on fire for God. All right, Lord, let's go. Arise, oh, Lord, let's go. Let's move. Uh, show me what to do. Now, that's kind of where he's going with this. Arise, oh, Lord. So whenever you read that, and you will, if you read the Psalms enough, you'll see this phrase quite a bit. Arise, oh, Lord, save me, oh, my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Uh, David was a shepherd at one time, and he uh, it says in his account early on in Samuel uh, that he had to defend his flock from bears and from lions. Imagine that. <laughs> I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine that. And all you do, you know, one of the things you know that they would do, they have the shepherd rods. They're not just for you know making sure you get up the hill. They're for hitting things with uh, you, that you need to do. And he would, whenever you know a shepherd uh, would hit an animal that was attacking one of his sheep, you hit them right here. You break their teeth so they can't chew. It's the best place to hit them because that's their that's their strength. And if you hit them in their strength and you break their strength, they're going to stop attacking you. They don't have anything to attack with, maybe their claws, but they don't rest on their claws. Their teeth are their strength. And notice David isn't saying lift me up so I can break their cheekbones or you I didn't break their cheekbones, you did. Right? We have to rest in God on these things. And again, that goes back to the word thing. 
That goes back to words breaking their cheekbones. It kind of rings of, Lord, stop their mouths. Stop them from talking. Stop their, you know, take their strength away from them. And when your strength is smoke and mirrors, it's often going to be in your mouth. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. I want to read an excerpt from 2 Samuel. The story of Absalom is found in 2 Samuel. It starts uh, in 13. Yeah, 13, verse 13, or chapter 13. And it goes all the way uh, through. This is at uh, chapter 18 of uh, 2 Samuel, verses 7 through 9. The people of Israel were overthrown there before the servants of David, and a great slaughter of 20,000 took place there that day. For the battle there was scattered over the face of the whole countryside, and the woods devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. Then Absalom met the servants of David. Absalom rode on a mule. The mule went under the thick boughs of a great terebinth tree, and his head caught in the terebinth, so he was left hanging between heaven and earth, and the mule which was under him went on. That was the end of Absalom. That's how he ended. His head was lifted up the wrong way. David's head was lifted up again the right way. And although there was victory there, it took a long time for David to get over that. He didn't take it like, yeah! He took it with mourning. Sometimes when we win, sometimes when we ask God to rise up, we have to be careful what we're asking for. God's going to do what's right no matter what. And we are best to be on board with that, but we also have to remember who we are. We're connected, right? We're connected to these people in this world. They're our friends, they're our loved one, they're our family. I don't know how many family members I have I don't agree with. I don't know how many family members I have. I don't, I don't share their political views. I definitely don't share their biblical views. Most of them are, you know, not most, but a number of them are atheists. But I love them. They're my family. And no matter how hard they rail at my beliefs, no matter how hard they rail at me, God will one day stop their mouth one way or another. Save me, oh my God. Save me. Salvation belongs unto the Lord. It's not for us to take into our hands. It's important that we wait on God to say what God wants us to say. As my sister was asking for prayer, how we deal with the people around us. How are we going to deal with them? We have to deal with them in love. We have to deal with this fallen world. Even the people who want our necks, who want our blood, who have talked about us behind our backs who have told lies about us, who have told the truth about us, who have hurt us in some way, who have taken things from us. It's not our job to get revenge. It's our job to show them who Jesus is, the best that we can. It's not great all the time, but it's the best that we can. And He fills in the rest. 
Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you for who you are, Lord. We thank you for being our God. Salvation belongs to you. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't matter how strong I am. It doesn't matter how uh, handsome I am. It doesn't matter how much power I'm able to accumulate. It doesn't matter how many people I can get on my side, Lord. It doesn't matter how right I am either. It doesn't matter how forgiven I am, Lord God. Lord, give me a heart for those around me. Give me David's heart that he had for his son. Give me, give me that kind of a heart that you had for your son, Father God. Lord, those people that turn their back on you, Father God, you haven't turned their, your back on them, and you don't want us to turn our backs on them, Father. Lord, teach us how to handle this situation. Teach us not only with empathy, but with mercy, with grace, with strength, Father God. Teach us how to love those people around us who need to learn about you, Father. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit glbcdt.org.